0: amen i'll invite you to turn in your bibles to mark chapter 11 we've been uh, teaching on the subject of faith for the last number of weeks and we're going to continue to do so tonight i want to teach on uh, how to make faith work for you jesus um, in mark chapter 11 we don't want to take time to read through a lot of things that we have before so let me summarize real quickly while you're turning in your bibles to the 11th chapter of mark jesus curses the fig tree and then the next morning They come, the disciples come by with him and recognize that the fig tree is dried up from the roots. It says that Peter calls to remembrance and said, Master, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. There's an implied question there. It seems to me that he's saying, how did this happen? I think it's interesting that these guys have walked with Jesus for three years and don't know. Nevertheless, Jesus, this being the last week of his life, he's going to go to the cross in about four days, four and a half days from this point in time. Uh, Jesus explains and gives what I believe is the most concise description uh, of, uh, of what faith is and how it operates. Of anything that, uh, that we have record of in, in the, the, the other uh, gospels or any other time of his ministry. Verse 22, Jesus answering said unto them, have faith in God. One translation says they have the faith of God. We paraphrase that and say the, that that means have the God kind of faith. Because I don't know what other kind of faith God would have other than the God kind of faith. What would the faith of God be if not the God kind of faith? So he's describing what the God kind of faith is and how it works. And that's in verse 23. He said, For verily I say unto you, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now verse 24 tells how faith works in prayer. Notice there's no mention of praying in verse 23. He just says, whosoever shall say or speak unto the mountain. Verse 24 talks about how faith works in prayer. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, meaning the things that you desire, and you shall have them, meaning the things that you desire. Verse 25 and 26 talk about the hindrance, the the number one hindrance to faith operating. He said, and when you stand praying, forgive, if you have ought against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now let me ask you a question, Just, just very simply. Who will faith work for? It's a real question. Who's he saying faith will work for? Anybody want to take a shot? You're afraid it's a trick question, aren't you? How many of you believe this? He's saying whosoever. It'll work for whosoever. Raise your hand. Are you aware of Acts chapter 19? Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 11, said, And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. So that from his body were taken into the sick handkerchiefs or aprons. And the evil and the diseases departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them. Verse 13 goes on to say, And certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon themselves to call upon them which had evil spirits, saying, We adjure you in the name of the Lord Jesus whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of one Siva, a chief priest, who did so. And the man in which the evil spirit was spoke back and said, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you? And the man leaped on them, beat them up, stripped off their clothes, and they went running down the street naked. Well, didn't they say the right thing? If faith works for whosoever, it should have worked for them. Why didn't it work for them? Well, I personally don't think that they were saved. I think they heard the preaching and teaching of Jesus and saw the miracles that were being done by the hands of Paul. And they wanted Jesus, or the name of Jesus, for the work's sake itself... Without making Jesus the Lord of their lives without accepting him into their heart or hearts as their Lord and Savior. So that what means that it's not whosoever shall say. It won't work just for whosoever. These guys are like what I heard one preacher talk about. Some people spend 20 years walking contrary to the principles of the word, principles of of faith. And they hear one or two messages on faith and they think they're going to be a two-day wonder. They think that all of a sudden they're going to turn things around. They're going to start making all these confessions. And everything's going to work out just miraculously for them. He describes it this way. He said it's like trying to build a second story on a vacant lot. And that's what a lot of people do. A lot of people hear the faith message. And they think it's all about have what you say. You'll have what you say. You'll have what you say. You're going to have what you say. So I'm just going to start saying a bunch of stuff. Go back to Mark 11, 23 and see who Jesus said it works for. Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, And shall not doubt in his heart, But shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, He shall have whatsoever he saith. Who will will faith work for? It will work for the whosoever that says to the mountain, Doesn't doubt in his heart, And believes that those things which he says shall come to pass. That's who faith works for. And you get a lot of people that are willing to start saying, but they're not willing to keep up with it. You have other people who start saying, but then they give up before it takes root in their heart. You give other people that start saying, but then they get moved by the circumstances and begin to doubt in their heart. And then you've got some people that just don't believe that what they say works. And all of those conditions have to be met. Every one of those conditions have to be met. Now, here's a question for you. How did Jesus get to the place where he knew that whatever he said would work? he's our example now some people will say well that's a ridiculous question pastor mike because jesus was the son of god he didn't operate here on the earth as the son of god the, the bible says that he laid aside his heavenly power and glory in other words he laid aside all the son of god power to come to the earth to be a man to be a human to operate like you and me which means whatever he developed and however he developed himself spiritually you and i can develop ourselves in the same way now don't let me qualify that right there Because some people will say, oh, you're saying you could be just like Jesus. Well, in character, yeah. That doesn't mean that I'll do the same amount of works or the same quantity of works that he did. Because Jesus had an anointing that I'm not going to have. But I'm going to have a part of it. So I might be able to do some of the same works that Jesus did in lesser quantity. He certainly have the spirit without measure, and i don't you don't none of the rest of us do, so none of us are going to do the same quantity of works that Jesus did, but we can do the same works in this, in a similar quality, though maybe in a smaller quantity that would have to be true, or else Jesus lied to us when he said, "The works that I do shall you do also." He didn't mean in the same measure or amounts. Because he had an anointing that no other human being is going to have. He had the whole of the Holy Spirit and none of the rest of us do. We have a part of it. You've got part and I've got part. You're anointed to do certain things. I'm anointed to do different things. And we can be just as successful in Jesus as Jesus was in the things which we're anointed to do. Right? That would have to be true. So how did Jesus come to the place where he believed whatever he said would come to pass? Turn with me over to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, we want to pick up the, at the end of the chapter, Jesus is uh, speaking. I don't want to take the whole thing. Let's start in verse 46. Jesus said, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receives not my words has one that judges him. The word that I've spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So notice you're not going to be judged by Jesus. Mankind is not going to be judged by Jesus. Mankind is going to be judged by the word of God. The things that Jesus spoke. Verse 49. For I have not spoken of myself. Please notice that phrase. Jesus is saying, I didn't originate the stuff that I've told you. I have not spoken of myself. But the father which sent me, he gave me a commandment. What I should say And what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even so as the father said unto me, so I speak. Now, what commandment did God give Jesus? Because if he gave him a different commandment than he gives you and me, we've got a right to claim foul. We've got a right to claim that God is being unjust. If God gave Jesus a different commandment that gave him the ability to do different works than than what you and I have, and the works are are different in potential for us than they were for him, then that means God's not doing what he says in his word. He is a respecter of persons instead of what the Bible says that he's not. So what is this commandment that God gave Jesus? See, we might think and we might imagine all kinds of things that God appeared to Jesus when he was a young boy. And said I'm really your father. And here's the work that I've got for you in your life. You're going to wind up going to the cross. But before then man you're going to heal the sick. And you're going to cause blind eyes to be open. And lame people to walk. And you're going to walk on the water. And you're going to multiply loaves and fishes. And do all kinds of cool stuff. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying that God gave him the same commandment that he gave Israel. Otherwise Jesus is operating outside of the Abrahamic covenant. Which would mean that he's not a worthy sacrifice. For the fulfilling of the law. That has to be true. You see that don't you. So what is the commandment. That he's saying that he was given. And notice what Jesus said. Let's read this verse again. Verse 49. For I have not spoken of myself. That seems to me that Jesus. A man without sin here in the earth. Would have been the perfect one to speak of himself. I'm not talking about talk about himself. I mean speak from his own heart because he's a pure heart. He's a sinless heart. The only person on the face of the earth that could be sinless or spotless. And yet Jesus said, I'm not speaking of myself. I'm not the one that's coming up with the things to say. But rather, the father which sent me, he gave me a commandment. Notice what commandment God gave him. What I should say. What I should say. Now, folks, if Jesus is operating by the commandments that God gave Israel through first through Abraham's promise and then secondly, through Moses and the law of Moses, then what he's saying is the law of Moses and the Abrahamic covenant is all wrapped up in one thing. And that is what you should say. I wonder if that has anything to do with numbers, chapter 14, verse 28. When after Israel rebelled against God and wouldn't go in to take the promised land, the ten spies came back with an evil report, saying that they couldn't do what God said they could. And Numbers fourteen twenty-eight, God said, "As truly as I live, I shall deal with them as they have spoken in my as they have spoken in my ears. So shall I deal with them." I wonder if that has anything to do with the eternal law. That the Bible is speaking of here, as truly as I live, means it's an oracle of God. It's an unchanging law of God that as you speak in the ears of God, that's how He deals with you. I wonder if it has anything to do with Deuteronomy chapter 30, where it talks about the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. I wonder if it has anything to do with Joshua 1 8, where God told Joshua, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then thou, shalt have good, then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. In other words, he's saying, you want the blessings of Abraham? Speak the word. Is, this, is it possible that that's what Jesus is saying about the way he lived? Well, it's very easy to identify. What did Jesus say that was ever contrary to what God said? What did Jesus ever speak that was contrary to anything that was written in the law of the prophets? What did Jesus say that was contrary to anything God ever instructed him or prompted him or inspired him to speak when he was preaching? If he ever spoke anything contrary to the, to the word of God, which never changes, then that means he sinned. So his whole life, his whole life was spent speaking only what God's word says. I wonder if that had anything to do with the blessings of God on him. I wonder if it had anything to do with the, the anointing that he had. I wonder if it had anything to do with the fact that everything that he said came to pass. Well, of course it did. Because God's words in your mouth is the same as God speaking them themselves. And anything God ever says comes to pass because it's spoken with power. There is no word of God that's void of power. So if God says it, it has to be. That's why it's impossible for God to lie. If God was able to lie, whatever he lied about would become true. Because his word is full of power. Do you understand what I mean by that? Well, hope you'll get that later. Again, verse 49, I have not spoken of myself, but the father which sent me, he gave me a commandment. What I should say and what I should speak. Turn with me over to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter Four, Jesus tells the parable of the sower so in the word. we've looked at that uh, a couple of other times, and we won't uh, refer well we'll refer back to it, but we won't go through the the uh, uh, the entirety of it. but I want you to see in mark chapter four, beginning in verse twenty six Jesus is speaking he's just told the parable that's the key to understanding all the things of the kingdom of God, and then he explains mark chapter four verse twenty six and he said, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. Now, he just went through the parable in um, the first part of the chapter, verses 3 through, um, well, what is it? Verses, verse 3 through 8 is the parable, and then the explanation is down through verse 20. He's just explained that the ground that the seed is to be sown in is people. He talks about four different types of ground or four different types of people, people by the wayside that allow Satan to take away the word immediately when it's sown people upon stony ground, which have no root or moisture in the depth of earth. And so the the word doesn't produce the thorny ground where the cares of this world and other things choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And finally, the fourth type of ground is the good ground, which brings forth fruit. So when Jesus is talking about ground. In verse 26, he hadn't changed his subject. He said, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast, cast seed into the ground. Now, we just found out in the parable that the sower sowing the word is speaking the word. In other words, you cast seed or you sow seed by the words that you speak. So when he's talking about casting seed into the ground, he's talking about speaking into your own heart. Isn't he? So is the kingdom of God. Here's what the kingdom of God is like, folks. It's you speaking so that your spirit hears it. It's not you sitting and listening to somebody else speak the word. That can bring benefit. It can bring knowledge to you. But the real benefit of the word, the real spiritual development comes when you speak so that your spirit hears you speak it. Every time you speak the word, your heart takes hold of it. Then when you say it, you say it again with a little bit more power, a little bit more force. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And when you say it, your spirit takes hold of it even more. And then the next time you speak it, it comes out a little, even a little bit more forceful. Now, I'm not talking about physical force. I'm talking about spiritual strength. That's how spiritual strength is developed, by speaking the word of God. Romans chapter 10 says, but what saith it, verse 8, what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. The word of God starts in your mouth, not in your heart. Now, the devil always wants to talk to you about the word of God that's in your heart, or he'll tell you that it's not really in your heart. But the real key is speaking the word of God out of your mouth to get it into your heart. And that's what meditating in the word is all about. It's you saying the word of God to yourself. You speaking God's word to yourself so that you can hear it. Now there are times where you have to do it under your breath so nobody hears what you're doing and doesn't think you're a nut. But every time that you have an opportunity to say it out loud where you can hear it with your physical ears, that will provide much greater benefit to you. So as the kingdom of God is if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how you don't even have to know how it works for it to work for the earth brings forth. The earth is talking about the ground, the heart, the human spirit for the earth. The human spirit brings forth fruit of herself. Please notice that your answer is within you. It's not outside somewhere. So many people think, if I just had enough money, it'd, it'd fix my, all my problems. It wouldn't. Because first of all, if you don't know how to handle money, you'd lose what you had. But money is finite. You're never going to find a pot of gold that's a, that's a never-ending pot of gold. But you can find resources of your spirit that can't be depleted. For the earth, the spirit, brings forth fruit of herself. First the blade, then the ear, and after that the full corn in the year. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, what is Jesus telling us about the the kingdom of God being like planting the word of God or speaking the word of God into your own spirit? Because it's a process. Nobody starts off believing that what they say is coming to pass. Nobody starts off believing that the words that they speak will come to pass. It's a process. It's a growth process. And I dare say that most people quit before the process is completed. Every time you hear somebody say, Well, I tried that faith stuff and it doesn't work. What are they telling you? I quit before the harvest came in. Every time. How many times have we heard people say, Well, you know, I've tried it. That faith stuff, it just doesn't work, just doesn't work, just doesn't work. What does that mean? It means they quit on it. It means they quit on it. Do you see what the Bible is saying? It's saying the importance of your words is everything in developing yourself into the person that believes that your words will come to pass. Now, there's another thing. Why don't you turn with me over to James chapter 1? I think it's James 1. Well, that's James. We'll find it once we get there. James chapter 1, verse 26. James said, and James had a lot to do, a lot to talk about, about the way people lived and about the way they've talked and, and so forth. Notice what James, says. the pastor of the church at Jerusalem, says about how Religious folks or Christian people ought to live and ought to operate. He said, If any man, verse 26, James 1:26, if any man, meaning woman too, among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue. Bridleth means to control. In other words, doesn't watch what he says. But deceiveth, is, deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Notice what he's saying. He's saying, When you talk, contrary to the word of god when you don't watch the words that you speak when the words that come out of your mouth are not just or only in line with the word of god it says you're deceiving your own heart now the heart here is talking about the same human spirit jesus was talking about casting seed into so apparently it's not just the word of god that's seed that's planted into the heart words contrary to god's word can be seeds planted into your heart and that's the very reason why most people do not believe that what they say will come to pass they're so used to talking out of both sides of their mouth, so to speak. They're so used to speaking in the word of God sometimes and speaking in line with their feelings in other times. They're so used to saying, "Well, I just don't understand God." Ne- I heard a testimony the other day about what God did for somebody, and they'll say, "God never does anything like that for me." Well, their faith is working only in reverse gear. Now, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter twenty-eight. I want you to see something else about this. Deuteronomy chapter twenty-eight. These are, um, this is Moses speaking to the children of Israel before he goes off the scene. Joshua is about to take over and lead them into the promised land. And this is, this is uh, well, almost the entire book of Deuteronomy is Moses in his farewell speech to the people. He's instructing them. He's telling them, don't do what you did 40 years ago when you got to the edge of the promised land and, and rebelled against God. And so he tells them, instructs them, reminds them of different things. Notice he says in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1, And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all of his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Now notice he's saying that the key is to hearken diligently to the voice of God. Or we could say the word of God because the word of God is God speaking to you, isn't it? So he says the key to the blessings of Abraham, the key to all the blessings, spiritual blessings that we have in Christ in heavenly places. The key, heavenly places means the spirit realm, doesn't mean at the right, the hand of God or at the throne of heaven. It means in the spirit realm. He says the key is to hearken diligently. Now, do you remember what made the difference in Matthew chapter or Mark chapter four without going back and looking at it again? Do you remember what made the difference in the good ground and everything else? All the other types of ground. Remember, Jesus said the key to, hold, to understand the whole deal is he that has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, isn't hearing kind of like hearkening? Isn't hearing the, the, the process or the continuation of giving attention to the Word of God, of keeping the Word of God? Could we not say it's the same as hearkening diligently? The good ground hearkens diligently to the Word of God, gives proper attention to the Word of God, and so forth? Wouldn't that fit? Well, what does hearken diligently mean the word hearken and the word diligently are both the same word the, the hebrew word shama i don't know if i'm saying it right but we we usually think of hearkening in uh, in connection with hearing and if you look at the places in the new testament or i'm sorry in the old testament the hebrew where hearken is uh, translated most of it has to do with hearing or listening to or something like that but let me give you the definition of this from strong's concordance The word translated hearken means to hear intelligently. But then there are a lot of different descriptions of what this word means. Any of them are equally accurate and accurate and true. Notice what it says. It means to consider. It means to declare. It means to discern. It means to be obedient to. It means to make a noise. It means to proclaim. It means to publish. It means to report. It means to tell. It means to make a sound. It means to witness. So we could translate this. Absolutely accurately by saying that the key to the blessings of Abraham, let me read verse 1 again, and it shall come to pass that if thou shalt hearken to hear intelligently, to speak, to tell, to report, to witness the word of God or unto the voice of the Lord. In other words, he's saying what Moses is saying to the children of Israel, one one of the key ways to keep the word of God, one of the key ways to give attention to the word of God is to speak it. Now, the rule of Hebrew is this. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I can read. And so here's what the rule of Hebrew is. Whenever a word is doubled, like hearken diligently, shama, shama, from the Hebrew. Whenever a word is doubled, it means that intensifies the meaning of the first word. And In other words, it means it adds strength to it, or it adds purpose to it, or it adds quantity. We could say that he's saying that if you shall declare farther, louder, faster, and more often the voice of the Lord or the word of God to observe to keep all his commandments, then all these blessings will come on you. That's what the word means. It's not the only thing that the word means. And I'm not saying it's an incorrect translation, but to hearken diligently really doesn't tell me what I'm supposed to do. It tells me that I'm supposed to put the word first, but what does that mean? But if you change the meaning and change the understanding to speaking the word of God, which is exactly in line with what God told Joshua to do. First thing God told Joshua to be successful, how to be successful in being the leader of the children of Israel in Moses' place is to speak the word. Then that would have to fit, Right? So if you shall it shall come to pass notice it shall come to pass not might not maybe here's a guarantee it shall come to pass that if thou shall hearken diligently declare proclaim publish speak farther louder faster and more often under the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all of his commandments which I command thee this day that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all the nations of the earth and all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God is that not what Jesus just said in John chapter 12 verse 49 that he did he said I don't speak of myself but I speak what the father gave me commandment to say and to speak is that not what he's doing Certainly it is, and then it goes through a whole list of all these all these blessings that will overtake you. Now, notice, uh, skip down with me to verse. Uh, what is it? Verse fifteen. Yeah, but it shall come to pass if thou will not hearken. Now, this time it just says the hearken, word hearken once. In other words, it shall come to pass if you shall not speak or declare the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all of His commandments and His statutes which I command thee this day. That all everybody say all, all these curses shall come upon thee. All these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. So, folks, the issue is simply this. You're going to be chased down by something in your life. You're either going to be chased down by blessings or you're going to be chased down by curses. Your call. And it all comes down to one thing, and that is the words of your mouth. The words of your mouth will determine what you're chased down by. Now, the, the Bible speaks even more clearly about this. Turn with me over to Proverbs chapter 1. There's some verses in uh, in Proverbs that used to really bug me because they are so strong. And it didn't seem to fit with what I wanted to think the character and the nature of God was. But notice beginning in verse 25, this uh, wisdom is speaking in the first person. And it says, because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But you have said it not all my counsel. That means you uh, didn't count the word of God as being worth anything to you and would have none of my reproof. Reproof means instruction or discipline. I also wisdom says, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear comes, when your fear comes as desolation and your destruction comes as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish comes upon you, then shall they call upon me. Usually when people hurt bad enough, that's when they want to turn back to God. Then will they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they they shall not find me. For, here's the reason why, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel. They despised all of my reproof. Therefore shall they eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. Now, I didn't like those scriptures. I didn't like those scriptures because I wanted God to be the one that was there when somebody turned around and changed things for them. And he will. Well, if he will, Pastor Mike, how do these things fit? It fits very simply like this, folks. At the moment you repent, God receives your repentance and, and gives you forgiveness, the forgiveness that you're asking for. But it still takes time for spiritual laws to be reversed. Just like it takes a while, just as Jesus said in Mark chapter 4, verses 26, 27, and 28, about the kingdom of God is like a man casting seed into the ground, the ground of your heart. It takes a while for those, those words that you speak, the, speaking the word of God, those scriptures that you speak, those promises of God that you speak, it takes a while for those to get down into your heart. Well, it's going to take a while for you to reverse the negative words that you've spoken and, and schooled yourself into believing. Even though, you're, even though you repent and God forgives you, even though God receives you back unto himself like you never turned away, it still takes a while for those spiritual truths, the spiritual laws to be changed and reversed. Can you see that? So what we have is a lot of times we have people that have walked according to their flesh For 20 some odd years and they hear a few messages on faith and they say, oh, Pastor Mike, I believe that. I hear that. I I get so excited. I didn't know that was in the Bible. Now I'm going to start speaking the word of God and have what I say. And then they come back in a week and they say it's not working. Well, why isn't it working? Because you've schooled yourself for 20 years in the wrong words. You've built and planted those wrong words as seeds into your heart. And it's going to take a while for that harvest to be uprooted with the truth. Well, what should we do? Stay with it. Stay with it. Now turn with me over to Mark. Um, How much time I got? Uh, How about Matthew 14? Let's go there first. Matthew 14. I want you to see something here. Now if you'll allow me, I'm going to slow down a bit. That's kind of a joke. Not a joke that I'll slow down. Just a joke that I'm, I'm always aware that I need to. Here's the story of Peter walking on the water to Jesus. Now, I'm going to take some things for granted without turning over to those scriptures. Now, if you're not familiar with these scriptures, you might want to write them down and, and take notice of them yourself. Do you remember that Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What is hope? I want you to think for a minute. What is hope? See if this definition does not fit the Bible definition of hope. Now, the world thinks hope is a different thing than the Bible calls it. Hope in the Bible or Bible hope, scriptural hope, is a desired, uh, the expectation of the desired result. Now, sometimes people think hope is a dream. Hope is not a dream. Hope is a desired, the expectation of a desired result. So you can have a dream To be a millionaire you can see that the bible says that god will supply all of your needs and all of a sudden you've got all these things in mind that you're going to have 10 million oil wells and you're going to have planes and cars and houses on every block and all this kind of stuff well the bible never promised you to do that you can have a dream for that but you can't really have a hope for it because the bible never says so hope and faith both come from the same source and that's the word of god and if you can't find a scriptural source you can't have hope you remember Abraham in Romans chapter 4. The Bible says of Abraham, Abraham without hope believed in hope. What does that mean? He had nothing. He had no natural evidence. He had no natural circumstance that he could be, build a dream of having a child on, but he did have something from God and that was the promise. So shall your seed be. So that's what he put his hope in. He put his hope in what God said. God's word is designed To give you a desired uh, expectation of a desired result. Forgive me for for rearranging those terms. But I'm trying to say it the same way every time. Hope is designed to give you an expectation of desired results. Do you know what the opposite of hope is? The opposite of hope is fear. Because fear is an expectation of what you don't desire. We sometimes try to try to contrast fe- fe- uh, fear and faith. But the opposite of fear is hope. Because hope is the expectation of a desired result. Fear is the ex- expectation of the de- result that you don't desire. Now hope, the same word that brings hope will bring action to that hope, which is faith. And faith is the substance of things hoped for. If all you have is hope, which is a, uh, an expectation of a desired result, but you never give action to it, either by words or by deeds, physical uh, physical activity, then your hope, your expectation of a desired result never becomes materialized. It never becomes a part of this natural realm, this physical realm. But faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is the way you give substance to the, to, to the expectation Of the desired result. Faith is also the last part of verse uh, 1 of Hebrews uh, chapter 11. Says faith is the evidence of things not seen. There is a difference between things that are not seen. And things that are not real. See if something is not real. There is no way you can have evidence for it. But you can have evidence for something that is not seen. How many of you know that the force of gravity is a reality in this world. What's the evidence of it? You can't see it, but do we have evidence that gravity is in effect on the earth? Well, sure, we could drop our Bibles or our books or our keys or anything on the floor, and it would fall straight down to the floor, right? It wouldn't float down like a feather. It would fall straight down to the floor. So that would be the evidence of something we can't see. Well, faith is the evidence of what you can't see, the desired expectation that you can't see, the expectation of a desired result. Faith gives evidence or proof To that unseen result. Where do we get faith? Same place we get hope. From the word of God. Now what is doubt? Doubt is the acting out. Of the expectation. Of the the result that you don't desire. And I want you to see them both in operation here. See how they both operate. In Peter walking on the water. Let's start reading in verse. Verse. 23 and when he sent well verse 22 and straightway jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him under the other side while he sent the multitudes away and when he had sent the multitudes away he went up into a mountain apart to pray and when the evening was come he was there alone but the ship was now in the midst of the sea tossed with the waves for the wind was contrary and in the fourth watch of the night jesus went unto them walking on the sea And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a Spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And Jesus said, Come. Now let's stop here and analyze what's going on. What's Peter's expectation for the desired result? What's the result that he wants? He wants to walk on the water. Now, until he can get Jesus to give him the okay and to authorize him to do that, that's a pipe dream. Because there are physical laws of nature that would keep that from being a reality. Sometimes people come up with all goofy kinds of ideas and they'll say, Well, Pastor Mike, if you really believe in healing, you shouldn't be taking any medicine. And I always answer them with something like, Do you use deodorant? <laughs> well, if your faith is so strong, why do you need deodorant? Why do you stink? Do you use gasoline in your car? Why don't you have enough faith for your car to run without it? See, people getting all kind of goofy ideas about stuff. And usually it's people that don't have any experience in the things of God, don't have any experience in faith. Here's Peter with what would be a pipe dream if he can't get Jesus to cook up with what he wants to re- the result that he wants. So what does Jesus do? Jesus says, come. That word come does two things. Number one, it gives Peter hope that he can do it. It gives him an expectation for the desired result. Secondly, it gives him something to act on, something to give substance to his hope, his desired result. Now, as I said, there's only two ways that you can, t- that you can uh, express your faith. One is through the spoken word. Peter doesn't say anything, so that's not the one in operation here. The other is physical action. What does Peter do? Peter, the Bible says in verse 29, when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked from the water to go to Jesus. Now, you need to understand something, folks. Peter could have faith and stay in the ship. Peter could have faith and stay in the ship. See, so many times people think the issue is how much faith do I have. In uh, Luke chapter 17, his disciples, Jesus is talking to his disciples about forgiveness. And they said, Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus says this. He said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed. In other words, like the smallest seed known to man. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, King James says, you might say unto this sycamine tree, be uprooted by the roots and planted into the sea and it would obey you. Other translations say this. And the words literally are translated uh, or, or the definition of the words bear this out. Jesus said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you would say. You would say. In other words, they're saying, Jesus, we need more faith. And Jesus says, no, you just need faith that you're willing to plant. See, some people have faith that they're not willing to plant. The whole kingdom of God is like a man planting seed into the ground of his heart, his spirit. Well, what if somebody's not willing to plant that seed into the heart? Then they're not going to get results. Acts chapter 14 Paul went to the city of Lystra and there they preached the gospel and there sat a certain man at Lystra impotent in his feet being crippled from his mother's womb who had never walked the same heard Paul speak who Paul steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed said with a loud voice stand upright on your feet and he leaped and walked the man had faith to be healed before he was healed He had faith to be healed, and he doesn't know how to let it go. He doesn't know how to utilize his faith. He doesn't know how to let his spirit express the faith that he's received from the hearing of the word. Paul knows, and so Paul says, stand up, and he does. If Paul hadn't encouraged him or prompted him to act on the faith that he perceived, that Paul perceived that the guy had received from the hearing of the word, the guy would have had a heart full of faith and stayed there crippled. So see, it's not a matter of do you have faith. It's a matter of what faith are you willing to plant. What words are you willing to speak? What scripture are you willing to act on? Are you with me? So Peter could have heard Jesus say, Come, and then looked around and said, Well, what do I do now? Jesus has already told him, Come. Well, Jesus, how about I've got a better idea. How about you come and then take me by the hand and we'll walk out there together? You can show me what it's like that way. It's not the way it works. Jesus gave him instruction. He gave him one word, and that was the word come. That one word was sufficient to overcome all the laws of nature that keeps you and me from walking on the water. There's enough power in one word of God, one four-letter word of God, to overcome all the laws of nature. If you'll act on it. If you'll release your faith. So Peter stepped out of the boat to walk on the water. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. Now, what is fear the opposite of? Hope. So what happens? Now he's got a different expectation. The expectation of the desired result has changed. His expectation began, his hope started off with seeing, having a picture of walking on the water to Jesus. Now he sees the wind boisterous he sees the winds blowing real hard he sees the waves high but that's not new it was that way when jesus was before jesus ever showed up before they ever saw him they were toiling and rowing that's what keeping them in the middle of the water for making progress so that's not new what is new is the picture that it creates in him now he has an expectation for a result that he doesn't desire and that result is to sink now what's the purpose of the devil bringing fear against us to change our expected result? To change it from an expectation of desired result to an expectation of a result that we don't want to have. But the fear itself is not enough to do the work, because as long as he's acting on his faith, his faith will see him through. It doesn't matter. I mean, it helps. To have the right picture in your mind. But as long as you're acting on faith. Even when the devil brings wrong pictures. Or pictures of failure. Or thoughts of doubt to your mind. Those thoughts of doubt. If they're not spoken or acted on. Will die unborn. So the devil's trying to do one and only one thing. And that is to get Peter acting. On the fear that he brings to him. He can't make him do it. The devil can't make you doubt. He can't make you take action against God's word. But he tries to influence you with fear. Does it work for Peter? Yeah. We see the result is that Peter began to sink. So what does that mean? Well, again, it wasn't his confession that got him out there to begin with. It wasn't his confession that was keeping him walking on the top of the waves or on top of the water. So what was it? It was the fact that he was walking. So this means of necessity that one thing stopped when Peter got afraid, and that is he stopped walking on the water to Jesus. And that's when he began to sink. So his hope and faith was changed into fear which brought him into doubt now how do we know that he doubted well notice what jesus says when he saw the wind boisterous he was afraid and beginning to sink he cried saying lord save me and immediately jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him "O thou of little faith wherefore didst thou doubt how did he know that he doubted because he saw the result now folks we give peter a hard time for sinking but he walked on the water to jesus He was right next to Jesus when he said, Lord, save me. And Jesus reached out his hand and picked him up. And then they walked on the water back to the ship. Notice the next verse. And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. How'd they get back? I mean, if Peter is right next to to the ship, why didn't he just grab hold of the ship instead of sinking? He's away from the ship and Jesus picks him up and then they walk back together. So we give him a hard time for sinking. And it's a great illustration for us, a great example for us how to resist fear and doubt so that we don't fail. But man, this guy walked on the water. Now let me point something else out to you. What kind of great man of faith was Peter to be able to walk on the water? He wasn't great enough in faith to keep from fearing and doubting. My goodness, he sounds kind of like me. He sounds like a normal guy. He sounds like a guy like me that's had faith failures and faith successes. Yet we have his example to see how we can keep from having any more failures. I don't think there's any such thing as a faith failure. I think there are things just like with Peter where we turn loose of our faith because of fear and doubt. Make any sense? You want the blessing of God to overtake you? It comes down to one thing. Hearkening diligently into the voice of the Lord or the word of God. Speaking continuously speaking planting the word of God into your own heart planting the word of God into your spirit now let me show you one one, uh, further scripture turn with me over to 1st John I think it's 1st John chapter 3 but we'll find it when we get there yeah 1st John chapter 3 notice in verse 20 here's another thing that the Bible talks about keeping your faith from working and we want your faith to work don't we I sure want mine to work Here's something else that keeps people from, uh, uh, from being successful in the operation of their faith. Notice verse twenty it says, For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God, and whatsoever we ask, this word ask is the same word over in John fourteen, to call for, or require, or demand, to speak. Whatsoever we ask or speak we receive of him because we keep his commandments, and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Then it tells us what the commandment is. This is the commandment, his commandment that we should believe on, literally in the name of Jesus, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now here's another thing that keeps people's faith from working. And that is, you remember that we just read over in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28, it says, uh, uh, it shall come to pass if thou shalt hearken diligently, speak continuously. First and foremost, give attention to speaking the word of God or speaking the voice of the Lord thy God and to observe all of his commandments. Some people, here's another thing that keeps people, uh, keeps them from developing in spirit to where they believe that their words have come to pass is because they're always trying to cut corners. For example, let's say you're believing God for finances and you get to the grocery store and they make a mistake and give you $20 too much. I've seen people... That came in and gave a testimony about something like that and said, So God met my needs. Well, folks, that's just dumb. God's not gonna meet your needs by somebody making a mistake and costing their employer money. Why would God wanna meet your needs by letting you find money or take money that belongs to somebody else? God's not dishonest. But see, these things all play into the same picture. If we're not able to be honest, we're not gonna believe in our words. If we know that we're not trustworthy, if we know that we're not honest and straightforward and upfront about anything and everything that we do. The Bible says a good name is to be desired much more than riches. In other words, if you've got to choose between a good name and money, choose the good name. God will make up the money. But that's not the way a lot of people operate. A lot of people operate by putting the money first. And they'll even try to say that that was their faith in action. That's not how faith works, folks. It's just not how faith works. You've got to be able to have a clear conscience in every respect, in every aspect, if you're going to develop in spirit to where your word, you believe your words will come to pass. You can't run any games on God or anybody else and expect your faith to work. It doesn't work like that. That's why Jesus gave some qualifiers in Mark chapter 11. One of them was forgiveness. He said, If you forgive, Uh, If you don't forgive, then God won't forgive you. When you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anybody. Because there are things, there are hindrances that will stop your faith from working. That doesn't mean you don't have faith. Because you have faith, you receive faith by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You can speak the word of God and build that into your spirit. But that in and of itself, that alone will not cause you to believe that your words will come to pass. You've got to be somebody that can look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm an honest person. Because if you're not honest, if you know that you're not honest, you're not ever going to believe in your words. And Jesus said that faith works for whosoever shall say and not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things which he says shall come to pass. That's the person that has what he says. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege that we have to walk by faith. Thank you, Father, that we've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. Because of that. Our righteousness, which is a view, goes before us. And the glory of the Lord is our rear guard. Thank you, Lord, that our words do come to pass as we build your, heart, your word into our hearts, our spirits. We thank you, Father, that we're in the process. We're on the way to becoming men and women who believe that every word that we speak comes to pass. Therefore, we will watch our words, Father. We will not have just the appearance of Christianity, but we'll have it in truth indeed. Thank you, Father, for the privilege that we have to be clean before you and before all of mankind because of the precious blood of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.